It's time for JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. This is how you do radio in a professional sports town, and this hasn't been a professional sports town. It was just UNLV basketball for how many decades? Now you got the Raiders, and you got the Golden Knights. It's Big Boy Radio. JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? My radio show's a little bit more intense. It gets a little bit more crazy. It gets a little bit more emotional. It's Big Boy Radio. And now, here's JT the Brick. And filling in for JT today, here's Harry Ruiz. The 2022 NFL season kicks off in a week, but Raiders football season is 10 days, one hour, and 25 minutes away. We're almost there, Raider Nation. The wait is almost over, and we will see the silver and black with the 53 guys that are kicking off the season on Sunday, September 11th at our home away from home, Los Angeles, California, Inglewood to be more specific, taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm your guest host here for the day on the JT The Brick Show, Harry Ruiz, announcer on the Spanish radio broadcast of Raiders games on Deportes Vegas. 1460 AM and Raider Nation this is the JT the Brick Show so we want to hear from you what are you excited about and what are you nervous about being 10 days away from the season opener for the Silver and Black the phone lines are open 702 702- 365-9200. The 53-man roster, it was announced on Tuesday. The practice squad, most of it, was announced yesterday, and there's already a couple of moves that we're going to be talking about in a minute. But first off, what do we have on board for you here today on a Thursday afternoon on Raider Nation Radio on the JT The Brick Show? We got a couple of guests lined up. Ryan Sakamoto, also known as Beast. Follow him on Beast Writer on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I've seen Raider nation really liking what he posts on twitter from practice what we're available to talk about from practice so i wanted to bring him on board here today to talk about what he has seen from the raiders his first year covering the silver and black in las vegas we'll hear from him he's been covering the nfl and college football for a while but he's over now in the dark side with the silver and black so we're gonna have him here on the jt the brick show on our number one Hour number two, Alex Marvez was entering his 25th season covering the NFL. He's a host on SiriusXM NFL Radio for over a decade now. And also, you can watch him on TV. Last night, he was on TBS with AEW as a backstage interviewer. We'll talk with him. He was with the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the induction ceremony. He's actually a voter for it. We also have him... Had him out here in Vegas in the NFL draft. I met him over at one of Vinny's live remotes uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to have him here on the show today. Plus, we have interviews from former Raiders that I was able to catch up with uh, while they were in town for Raiders Alumni Week. I caught up with Jim Plunkett, Super Bowl MVP, of course, two-time Super Bowl champion. Richie Incognito, the lineman who was with the team as... Early as last year. So he's a pretty recent Raider. We spoke with him about the offensive line. And, of course, Marcel Reese, who is now a member of the Raiders front office, but was a Raiders fullback for a while in the silver and black. We'll hear from them. Also, we will have press conferences that are happening right now. Nate Hobbs, Cleveland Furl, Amir Abdullah, they're scheduled to talk, and we will have their interviews for you here today on Raider Nation Radio. So, I told you guys, 53-man roster, it was announced on Tuesday. 
practice squad, 14 of the 16 guys were announced yesterday. One of them was offensive lineman Bamalaseni, an an unrestricted free agent signing for the Raiders that he was waived and then brought back to the practice squad. But today... Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network reported that the Raiders were cutting him loose, was were waving him. And it was like interesting because Bam has been out here since rookie minicamp. He has been out here the whole time. And why did the Raiders end up cutting him loose? Because as Vinny Von Senor from Raider Nation Radio's morning tailgate, you heard him here earlier today. And also with the Review Journal, he announced that the Raiders are signing Vitaly German who profiles both as an offensive guard and offensive tackle, but that his initial path might be more as a guard. He's a former Toledo offensive lineman that had a strong rookie training camp with the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Raiders are bringing in another offensive lineman to cover that spot left by Bamalaseni, who has been waived by the Raiders again. And if the front office believes that he's a better option at the moment, then we will bring him in. Jason Horowitz, the Raiders play-by-play announcer, the voice of the Raiders here on Raider Nation Radio's broadcast of the games, posted on Twitter the following. He actually called one of the new offensive linemen from the Raiders, Vitaly Germans, games in college last year, and he, and he had these notes. First four years at Division II, Edinburgh University in Pennsylvania left guard the first seven games of the season then back to left tackle and old school big and strong so the Raiders they're moving around pieces with these young guys with the rookies with the fellas that have less than four years of experience in the NFL you have a little bit more leeway to be able to bring him into the practice squad and not have to guarantee them a spot in the 53-man roster to keep them with your team with which might have to be a situation with another offensive lineman that they brought on board to have a practice with the squad to be able to visit the team and check out what they have. Joe Haig, a veteran that was with the Steelers last year that won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers in 2020, who could have had a touchdown, but he wasn't able to catch the ball in the Super Bowl. But Joe Haig, he's a veteran in this league. He has been cut from the Pittsburgh Steelers and he's visiting the Raiders, but there's interest from Multiple teams, not only the Raiders. So keep that in mind. It's not a done deal that they're bringing him in. Six seasons in the NFL, 79 games of experience in this league. So he's been there. He's done that. He was with the Steelers for 12 games last season, starter in a couple of them. And actually because he played in that final Week 18 game for the Steelers, where they actually ended up having all that drama with the Raiders winning, advancing to the playoffs, and then getting clobbered by the Chiefs. He the Steelers ended up having had ended up giving up a fifth round draft pick because it was a conditional draft pick. And because of his playing time in that week 18 game, they gave up a fifth round draft pick. And you've seen what draft picks are worth nowadays. And the Raiders weren't able to get much for some of the guys that they sacrificed during this time right before the season kicked off they got a conditional seventh round pick for for Trayvon Mullen they got a conditional seventh round pick for Tyree Gillespie who ended up getting cut by the Tennessee Titans so they're not getting nothing in return and when you see a guy like this a veteran in the O-line 
somebody giving up a fifth round pick for him, he's worth something. So the Raiders, I trust what general manager Dave Ziegler and assistant general manager Champ Kelly are doing. And they were actually scheduled to talk yesterday with the media in the morning after practice. But that ended up being switched up to having coach Josh McDaniels, which you've heard already here on Raider Nation Radio yesterday when JT was hosting the show. What my mind goes towards is, okay, you know what? This is the time of the year where they're checking out the profiles of all those 800 guys that got between cut and waved around the league and said, we have to focus on this. Yes, we want to talk to the media eventually, but right now we got way more important things and you see them bringing in a new offensive lineman to the team's practice squad. You saw them brought in a veteran offensive lineman just to test the waters and see where he's at with Joe Haig. It's going to be interesting. And yes, a 53-man roster was announced, but that's far from final. We're 10 days, an hour, and change, 15 minutes, but who's counting, away from the season opener for the Raiders. And this roster right now, it looks solid. It looks good. But you see Eight offensive linemen, and I ask you guys, what are you excited about? But also, what are you worried about? What has me a little bit intrigued right now, I won't say completely worried, but intrigued is having eight offensive linemen on this roster right now. You would expect a little bit more in that room, but the Raiders are comfortable with what they have. Of course, Brandon Parker ended up going to the injured reserve, so his season is done. That's one more versatile guy that is a veteran that has been in that room for a while that he won't be there able to play. So what are you going to cover that absence with? And the Raiders, we will hear from them soon to see what happens with that. But for now, that's what the Raiders had. They had a light practice yesterday. They had another practice today. And next week, it's on. It's on, Raider Nation. And guess what? We're going to have injury reports as well. And we will know which guys are at 100%, which guys aren't. Of course, the Raiders won't give us everything because they're doing it a little bit the Patriots way. But once you got to put out injury reports, we're going to have questionables. We're going to have doubtfuls. We're going to have probables. So that puts everything in a better in a better way. And Darren Waller, he came back yesterday, and he looked good at practice. I was out there in the time that we were available to be out there during the first three periods, and I liked what I saw from Darren Waller. That hamstring looks good. At a distance, it looks good. And with new representation with a new agent, hopefully that drama about a new contract is in the rearview mirror real, real soon, and the Raiders are able to focus on one thing and one thing only. Just win, baby. Yes, it was awesome winning in the preseason, right? Getting four wins, it felt good, but it's going to be worth absolutely nothing if you start the season with a loss in Los Angeles or a loss at home against the Cardinals. You got to start off hot. I hear JT, and I absolutely understand him and you, Raider Nation, when you're pissed off when the Chargers get all the love from the national media, but the Raiders don't. I'm like, okay, there's one way to shut them up to change all the perspective from a lot of folks. Go out there and kick some butt on September 11th. Go and do your job and show them that your team should be spoken about a little bit more. It's awesome to see Rich Eisen showing the Raider Nation a lot of love and giving a lot of great predictions for the silver and black. But there's other people that that's not the case. And can you blame them? 
Over the last two decades, the Raiders have, what, two postseason appearances? Since 2002, they haven't won a playoff game? What have you done for me lately? That's what the national media focuses on. They'll be like, ah, it's the Raiders. They'll figure out a way to screw it up. Do the opposite. Figure out a way to win. And so far in this preseason, yes, not a lot of starters saw action. We didn't see Derek Carr. We didn't see Adams. No Renfro, no Waller, no Crosby, no Chandler Jones, no Deron Harmon. But there's more coming, and those guys are going to show what this team can do. And I'm confident, Raider Nation. I don't know about you. I want to hear from you. 702-365-9200. What are you excited about? What are you worried about? Ten days away from the regular season kicking off for the Raiders. I spoke with some of the Raiders alumni this past week while they were in town. Richie Incognito, I told them, there's a big question mark on the Raiders' offensive line, and I picked his brain. This is what he had to say. Yeah, you know, all eyes on the O-line right now. Uh, I think if they, uh, if they protect Derek, Derek has plenty of weapons to, to get the ball downfield. Uh, I think what they're doing right now is experimenting and trying to find their best five. Uh, but I'm confident that once those guys, once they get those top five, seven, eight best offensive linemen on the roster, I hope that the collective group can raise their level of play to uh, to go out there and have success because they're, they're built for success right now. Richie Incognito, former Raiders offensive lineman. I'm pretty sure it felt weird for him being an alumni this week because just a couple of months ago, he was still a player. But... Now he's on the other side. I also asked him if he has any interest in coaching, and he said, of course, but right now he's focused on other things, so that's cool of him. And I love what he said right there about the picking out your best five, your best seven, your best eight guys that you can have on your squad. And that's something that the Raiders, as the season advanced in 2021, we saw that unit, that group, feel more comfortable together. And if you have five guys that are real comfortable being next to each other and knowing what the next move is and what where they need the support, where they need the help, or where they know that they are covered, then that makes this team play a little bit more loose and not with the back of their mind having it in the bad spot and saying, you know what, I don't think this guy over here at right tackle or at right guard or at left guard isn't going to cover that spot, so something might happen. No, the offensive line, they're getting comfortable together. And now that the group has been, well, lowered in numbers, now it's where the real players come out and show their their things. I got Bobby over here, and I always like talking to Bobby, our board operator, producer over here at the show. And Bobby, I was shocked yesterday when you saw players on the deep end of the field. And why was I seeing that? Because... Now you don't have 90 players on the field, so you're able to see a little bit more when I was checking out with my binoculars or with my long lens on my camera. And I was like, okay, I'm able to see more from what the defense is doing deep on the field. I'm able to see more from these offensive linemen that they don't have 12 anymore. They got eight right there on the field and a couple of practice squad guys. Now you're able to check out a little bit more about what they're doing and with less players out on the field, there's more opportunity opportunities for the guys that are on the on the field doing their thing right now for the silver and black. So it's definitely definitely going to be interesting. The offensive linemen right now for the Raiders. Let's give it a quick view. Dylan Parham, rookie, 
out of Memphis. Lester Cotton Sr., who it seems it's his job to lose right now at right guard, and I hope he ends up solidifying it. Andre James Center, who's going into his second season as a starter in that position for the Raiders. Jermaine Illuminor, whose story is very, very interesting about what he said. He told us in a press conference, I'm taking this as, a, as my last chance, my last opportunity. I need to go and he's eating right. He's exercising right. He's showing up to practice and at games and doing his thing. Jermaine Illuminor, I hope he ends up solidifying that spot right now as a right tackle. Colton Miller, left tackle, one of the best in the league. John Simpson, Thayer Mumford, the rookie. He's an interesting situation because he had looked good at the preseason, both in training camp and in preseason games. But unfortunately, an injury made him lose some time on the field and at practice and next to his teammates. I'm sure he was in there in the meeting rooms and learning, but you got to be out there physically and being able to do it, but good for him. How many seventh rounders do you see make a 53-man roster and especially in a position like the offensive line? Right now, the Raiders' offensive line room, that is eight players, 25% of them are rookies. Dylan Parham? And Thayer Mumford, that says a lot about what they can do. So keep that in mind. And the last guy in the room, Jackson Barton, which I'm happy about. I mean, he was able to remain with the silver and black, earned his spot. He has been going up and down. And he, of course, we remember he was uh, with the Chiefs when they won the Super Bowl. Now he's with the silver and black. Hopefully he's one of the guys that the Raiders are able to make become an even better player and somebody that – Ends up being a good swing guy right there in the guard positions. He looked good in the preseason. He was graded highly by Pro Football Focus. So we hope that's an indication of what can come from the backup positions because a lot of folks, we were saying, okay, Leatherwood, maybe not a starter, but if you're paying him, keep him as a backup. And he doesn't have the whole responsibility. But you know what? This Raiders front office, they're smart. Once they waived him, everybody was like, wow, the Raiders, they're going to be on the hook for a lot of money. But it didn't take long in the waivers process. Chicago, they were number seven in the waiver order, and they picked up Alex Leatherwood. And that dead cap for the Raiders, it went from nearly $8 million this year to just under $2 million, saving over almost $6 million in cash and in dead cap. So the front office, they know way more than we do. There's a reason why we're on a microphone and they're in the decision-making rooms. So Dave Ziegler, Champ, and, and Champ, they're doing a great job out there for the Raiders. So keep that in mind. Champ Kelly, Dave Ziegler, they're smart fellas, and it worked for the Raiders. And now the, Ra the Bears, for them, it's an interesting move. And by the way, Leatherwood met with the Chicago media today, and he said that he was at practice today as right tackle. So that's going to be interesting. He didn't say his first line right tackle or second, but as a right tackle. So they apparently still got that in mind. And one of the assistant O-line coaches out there, he was with the Raiders last year. So they know him. They got that in mind. And look at this. For the Bears, they get Leatherwood. For pretty much three years with a cost of $5.9 million over the totality of the contract. So even if he's not starting for a backup guard or a backup tackle, two mil per year, that's a good contract for them. So it was a win-win situation. For the Raiders, they didn't have the patience. They are, they're in win-now mode. They want to win soon. And they were like, okay, Leatherwood isn't the guy that we want. They let him go. And I honestly never thought that another team would end up picking up 
Leatherwood's contract. And they ended up doing it. So let's do that. Let's go to a break, Raider Nation, and we're going to come right back to hear from Cleveland Furl, who's talking over at Raiders headquarters right now. And it's gonna, it's interesting. He's in the final year of his contract, top five picks for the Raiders in 2019 in the draft. So let's hear from Cleveland Furl after this break. You're here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on the JT The Brick Show. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by the Botanist Gin, the number one fastest growing brand. Step up your cocktail game with the Botanist Gin. Darren's good. Uh, Darren's back. good to go. Um, you know, so he'll you'll see him today. And um, I don't really know anything about the that whole thing, the whole situation yet. Um, but no, I he'll be out there today and um, excited about, you know, kind of moving moving forward here with our whole group, you know, and trying to get, you know, guys in positions where we feel like they're going to be uh, as we head into the opening week next week. So, um, no, just excited. Back to the JT The Brick Show with today's guest host, Harry Ruiz. There you go. We heard head coach Josh McDaniels talking about Darren Waller and how he was going to be back at practice. And we ended up seeing that. He was back at practice yesterday doing his thing. That's positive being a week and a half away from the season opener for the Silver and Black against the Chargers in Inglewood, California. And we're going a little bit more up north than Inglewood right now with the phone lines because Robert from Portland, Oregon, he's on the line with us. How you doing, Robert? Hey, good, Harry. Um, you know that Graham is going to use that, which we haven't seen in a couple of years. He's going to go with the 3-4. You and I both know that because the nickelback is going to be important, but these. My question to you is: You watched them lose against the Giants last year. Graham was the defensive coordinator. What what guys do you think were were, were let go from the DC defensive line and the linebacker core because they just he just knew they wouldn't be good for that system. That's an interesting question. Which guys that they let go that weren't going to be good for the system? To right. be honest, I got a feeling that a lot of the guys that were let go, they were more camp bodies instead of not good fits because you saw how they did against the Patriots, and they were good players, but you got even better players right behind them. I got a feeling Bilal Nichols, he's going to ball in this system. Jonathan Hankins, he's not going to shine like an Indomitian Sioux, but he's great at run stopping. And then on the edges, they're going to wreak havoc right now. I'm honest, Robert, from what I've seen at practice from Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, they're going to be a nightmare for whoever they play against. It doesn't matter if it's an all-pro left tackle, right tackle. These guys have looked amazing at practice. And you probably know some Raider fans that were able to go out there to a couple of practices. I was there most days, and they don't take a snap off. They don't take a play off, and they're out there with the ones at all times and in this 4-3 system. There were people that were doubting if Max Crosby was going to be equally productive in the 3-4 system that Patrick Graham is going to install. I think he's going to be even better. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Do you think Diablo is going to shine in this system better than he did in the 4-3? You know what? With Antonio Pierce as his coach, I've actually told this story in my Spanish stream that I do weekly. There was a day that there were no fans, so we were able to move pretty much freely on one of the sidelines. And Antonio Pierce came over and brought up all the linebackers. And the way he preaches his knowledge to the guys is impressive. 
and the way that AP and Patrick Graham, the connection they have on the field, I like what I'm seeing from this coaching staff. And it looks different. And you go last year, and they had they didn't have a a low floor. They were just up there, but the problem was that the ceiling wasn't high for the defense. This year, for the defense, the ceiling is high, and I think they have a potential to be a good defense. And look, for me, from following the Raiders for the last two decades, we haven't seen a lot of good defenses. I would be happy with a top 15 defense, but I think the potential they have from what I've seen from what PG has done, Patrick Graham and AP, Antonio Pierce, and the rest of the coaching staff on the defensive side, Divine Diablo has a very good chance to have a great season, especially from what we saw last year, just with the limited opportunities he had. Now, having more opportunities, the kid has a great chance. He's got a lot of speed. That's what I like about him. He's, he, you know, he can cover some ground. Absolutely, absolutely. Robert, I appreciate your call, brothers. Shout out to everybody out there in the Raider Nation in Portland. Amen. There you go. Robert from Portland, you want to call in 702-365-9200. For now, we're going to go to Raiders headquarters and listen to Cleveland Furrow, the former top five draft pick for the Raiders in 2019. He's going into the final year of his contract. He wasn't able to be at training camp for a long time because of an injury, but he's back. And here's what the Raiders defensive end had to say today. Third or fourth, if you count. Fourth, yeah. If you count Marinelli, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm curious what you feel like your fit will be on this defense, and do you think this defense fits what you do? I think um, my role on this defense would definitely be something that's really just do whatever's asked of me. Um, I think that's something that, uh, with my skill set, that you know I had the ability to do. Um, you know, obviously, this pad is very multiple in what he does. So a lot of things, not even just me, but the whole, every guy on the defense is asked to do multiple things. So it's really just being able to be versatile, I think. That's going to be the biggest thing for anybody on this defense, to be versatile. Yeah. Did you have to change your body at all for this particular defense? or? I did. I did on my own. I didn't have to, but I did on my own. I kind of dropped about 10 pounds, for sure, just because, you know, I had been rushing on the inside the last couple of years, and I was trying to um, put on that weight to really handle it down there. But... As you get older, man, you start getting your grown man strength, and then, you know, we we dropping a lot more now, so, too. So, I definitely just cut the weight down. I feel like I can move a lot better, too. So, I feel pretty good. On the back end of that, a couple of months ago on the podcast, you kind of made a joke saying that you saw yourself more as a, a linebacker now. It yeah, of, it's, yeah. It's Do you kind of see yourself with the evolution of it? Do you see yourself more as just like an edge rusher than uh, just a defensive lineman? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's the more you can do, right? So, I think – for guys in this league, we obviously most guys in this league, it's about getting to the quarterback. So I think any defensive lineman should consider themselves a rusher. But I think just in regards to what Pat has been asking us to do, I think the versatility thing is the thing that is most important for guys on this defense. Like not just being a one-dimensional player and being able to grow. You know what I mean? So demanding more yourself, learning more about defense. Like I know coverages now, so it's a little bit, you know. I ain't going to lie, this has probably been the biggest learning year I done had so far as far as just learning like more football. So – and then going against Josh, you know, I feel like he's obviously one of the best play callers in the game. So it's been really, really good. Saw you um, peel out to go defend somebody in the slot. Um, I want to say Friday against the Patriots. So you got you went out there, had that feel, and what was going through your mind? It might have been the first time I saw you. <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, that was pretty normal. I feel like for that first game back, you know, I hadn't I had missed a, a good bit of training camp, but. Uh, 
It felt good being out there. You know, it definitely feels it's pretty cool being out there, you know, standing out there with the DBs and stuff like that. You know, we talking like doing our little, you know what I mean, doing our little thing. So I feel good. I enjoy it. You know, for some guys it can be, uh, you know, that's not really what we do. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's about giving people looks. And, I, and one thing I learned from Josh and Pat is that, you know, it's adapt or die. You know, you got you can't just be one dimensional. You gotta be able to adapt to what you know, obviously we play in a very, very um, competitive division. So you gotta be able to do certain things. When do you think a guy goes from young player to veteran? Like where where is that line and do you think you've kind of passed that at this point? Oh yeah, I think I passed that for sure. Um I think it just comes with experience. You know, I think uh a young guy, everybody matures differently. For some young guys it takes them playing a certain amount of snaps. For some young guys, you know, for some guys in the league, they're, they're more so journeymen. They might not always get the snaps, but more so maybe it takes them really going through the business side of the league or going through um, being a guy that has to work extra hard all the time to really get that maturity and understand, like, okay, like, I need to get a routine. I need to take care of my body. I need to take care of stuff off the field. I need to be in here earlier. You know what I mean? So it's really just whatever your learning curve is. A lot of different guys have it. I would say for myself, it definitely probably was a. Uh, it definitely probably was just adjusting to all the different changes we've had over the last few years, right? You know, the different coaches, different things we've had going on with the past on the team, and I think for now, like, I can really hone in on being a true, true veteran and being like, really just progressing forward because I feel like the new culture that we have is something that's been really, really good. So, so. Uh, Clee, I asked Hunter about Josh and this staff's. They're more teachers like Dabo was, and uh -huh. he said he agreed and liked that. Does that help you as a player, just the way that they teach us maybe take you back more to your Clemson days? <laughs> yeah, I think in regards to football, I think uh, obviously Dabo was more so of an offensive coach, so he definitely worked with Hunter more. But for me, uh, Brent Venables was someone that, you know, obviously the coaching styles are different, but I think just the teacher level, him and Pat, you know, he, they, they, they have some similarities definitely in just how much they – enjoy coaching it because Pat's a D-line guy too so he loves coming in there with us and Brent Venables was a D-line guy too so it's just those type things and when you see coaches that are really passionate about the game they can demand more out of the players I feel like so that's what they've been doing. Max last year uh, during an interview he was really um, transparent about after his rookie season and checking himself into rehab Yeah, you came in the league with him yeah. On the field, we all know what he's done. You've seen what he's done. But off the field, in the locker room, as a man, he's about to be a father. Can you just talk about what you've seen with the growth of him, you know, as a professional football player, but off the field? I mean, you know, a lot of stuff that, you know, a lot of the experience that me and him have had, you know, we got a special relationship. Obviously, that's been, like, one of my best friends on the team since I came in. We've been like this, you know. You know, I'm salt. I mean, I'm pepper. That's salt. And Chandler, he's uh, Old Spice. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got it down, you know. I can't leave. My, I can't leave the, the Hall of Fame, right? No, I just. Uh, but no, it's, it's uh, a lot of things that you know me and Max experienced together for sure. Something that you know we talk about, and uh, he's a, a, a truly special person because I was a, I was someone that really saw the highs and lows of him going through that process. So it's something that you know me and him got a special connection on that for sure. Where has he? Is there been a point that with what he's been through? that maybe from a mental health aspect on your part that he's been an inspiration for. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, definitely some of the things that I've battled with um, on the inside, on the, on, the, on the personal side that, you know, typical NFL players that come into the league young, um, maybe you're making a certain amount of money deal with that me and him have obviously experienced. And I've learned from his experiences too. So 
a lot of things, you know, I won't go into detail just because, you know, we've had some private experience that, you know, we, we kind of keep between ourselves. But it's definitely something that we've definitely learned and grew off of each other. And him be about to be a father is something that's, you know, happy I get to be a little uncle now. So it's been good. Yeah. You talked about the business side of football. Um, yeah. Your, your fifth-year option wasn't wasn't picked up. Um, you're basically going into the last year of contract here. How do you approach all of that and kind of separate the one from the other? I think you approach it um, the same way you approach every year. Every year is a new year. Um, I think for any player in the league, you know, what you've done the last year doesn't matter. I think the best thing about it is that um, I feel like I've primed and I've worked through the offseason with my teammates. And I feel like we're in a position to where we plan, we're ready to, and we're prepared enough getting our bodies in shape to play some of the best football that, you know, we feel like we've played thus far. But at the end of the day, I'm just focused on taking things one day at a time and trying to win a championship because I know um, I come from a program in college where when you focus on, just focus on that. Everything else will take care of itself. And at the end of the day, man, it's about, you know, you can't you can't focus on the things. You got to focus on what you can't control. So I'm just playing. I'm loving this whole new thing with my team. My coach has been really, really good. So you brought up there's Cleveland Furrow, who we spoke to for the first time this season with this press conference. I love what he said that he's been a has been able to grow and it has been his biggest learning year so far as a professional so good for him and also focus one day at a time he's not looking into the future let's go with operator raider in oxnard no we don't go with operator raider at the 805 he was listening to clean furl he said he cleared all my doubts every question i had in mind that's all i needed remember raider nation the JT The Brick Show is brought to you by Virgin Hotels. Unleash the Vegas in you at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. Whether you're here for a show, casino, or an experience, book your stay at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas today. And plus, they're going to have Raiders parties the night before every game at home for the Silver and Black. So check them out. Let's go to a break, Raider Nation, and we'll be right back here with our first guest, guest of the day. To the JT The Brick Show with today's guest host, Harry Ruiz. I mean, it's been great. Like, um, today I came in, I talked to Mick, and I, I talked to EB, and they both congratulated me. And, and then the, the main focus was, like, now you got to keep working, you got to keep going. Like, it's, it's, it's one thing to get the opportunity to be on the team and, and just kind of breeze through and kind of think you got it all figured out, but it's another thing to go out and work and and try to elevate every day. So um, that was the biggest thing. And I mean, they all, they've all been very supportive and it, it helping me get to where I'm at now and, and just trying to, like I said, keep moving forward. DJ Turner, who didn't play in any regular season games last year, but made his first 53-man roster this week for the Silver and Black after having a killer preseason. Congratulations to him. And remember, this is the JT The Brick Show, and it's presented by Modelo, a model of what a good beer should be, delivering a crisp, refreshing taste. Get Modelo in a store near you to experience an authentic Mexican beer. And before going with our guest first, we go with Mike from Vegas, who's calling in here on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's up, Mike? Yes, I wanted to, to uh, call in. Uh, the Raiders had a spectacular season last year. They went 10-7. and seven. But I'm concerned uh, this year about can they win close games with the offensive line kind of being average or uh, below average. It's going to be difficult to win 10 or 11 games this year because your division is so tough with the, the Chiefs, the uh, you know, uh, also the, the Chargers and, and so forth. So how can the Raiders sustain uh, 
winning close games with an offensive line that's not 100 you know, uh, percent in shape yet. Of course, and I'll say this. Last year, they weren't at 100%. They had injuries as well, and they had players miss time, including Colton Miller for the first time in his career in the NFL. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. But guess what? They also got two fellas that can get themselves off of the defenders real quick and Devontae Adams and Hunter Renfro and then add Darren Waller to the equation. I'm not saying that it's okay to go along with an offensive line that allows 40-plus sacks, but I still like what the Raiders can do with this offense. Thank you so much for the call, Mike. And look, I hope the Raiders do get double-digit wins and also make it to the postseason. Mike from Vegas. And now we go for with our first guest of the day, Ryan Sakamoto, also known as Beast. Follow him on Beast Rider on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. He was out there at Raiders headquarters today. Press conferences just concluded. So now it's time to bring him on board. Beast, it's great having you here with me today. Man, thank you so much for having me on, Harry. It's always a pleasure talking to you, whether you're here or not, or at the gym. And you didn't hit me up. I'm pretty upset about that. We could have been, uh, could have got our uh, small on together, man. Right now, well, you got you got your forums. I just run and walk. That's all I do. But <laughs> mahalo. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I got to talk with you about the hottest topic with this team, the offensive line. And I okay. see you there at practice every day observing and doing your analysis, which, by the way, Raider Nation is loving on Twitter. What have you seen with this offensive line and the eight guys that are there on the 53-man roster at the moment that can be better or not, depending on what you've seen? Right now it comes down to continuity. The first and foremost thing along the offensive line is you can have the best players on the line. You can have an all-pro studded, star-studded line, but if you don't have clear communication and continuity and team chemistry along the offensive line, everything is all for naught because you have to remember the center is the one making all the line changes, all the line calls. He's the quarterback of that offensive line. If you're playing next to someone who doesn't know his assignment or the rules of engagement on a stunt or a tight end stunt or tight end, sorry, tackle end stunt or whatever the case may be, or a guy coming across cross face and you don't know how to leverage your split or leverage your, your gap accordingly, you're going to be out to dry. And who's going to get hit with that? Derek Carr. Then Scott got a domino effect on Derek Carr because now everyone's going to be blaming Derek Carr for having poor play when it all starts up front. So for me, it comes down to continuity and communication up front. And again, the left side, I said it since day one, back in June, I said the starting offensive line on the left side is already solidified with Colton Miller, John Simpson, and of course Andre James. It's the right side that needs help. And I still see that being a factor because at the end of the day, what teams are going to start doing is they're going to start tearing down your weakness and then focusing on your weakness and amplifying that. And so when you do that, now you're creating pressure on the back end where you're going to have to have max protect, maybe have a running back to help up on the backside contained because at the end of the day, if Derek Carr doesn't have enough time to go through his progression, it's all for naught. It doesn't matter if you have Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, or Darren Waller because you're not going to have enough time to get separation off the top of the stem to get open. So it all starts with the offensive line. I'm very, very, very concerned with that uh, right side specifically because at the end of the day, like I said, man, it all starts up front down in the trenches. Absolutely. And you did mention tight ends. And the, the, actually, yesterday at the portion of practice we were able to watch, we saw tight ends supporting the offensive line. And it's something that we've seen in seasons past, but especially this year, that's something that the tight ends and the running backs are going to have to be very helpful protecting the quarterback. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you're going to use tight ends a lot, you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. You know, Josh McDaniels likes to use a, a lot of 12 personnel, one back, two tight end sets, 
And what you can do with those two tight ends is you can kind of chip the edge defender before that receiver or that tight end, Darren Waller in this case, or whether it be Boston Moreau or Jeff Horstead or whoever, they can chip that edge defender, allowing the offensive tackle to get in his angle set or jump set or whatever the case, whatever set he's at, and that will allow him that instant half a second to kind of play his leverage how he wants to play it, and that will buy him some time. So I think you're going to see that because, again, let's be honest, are, are we sold at Jermaine Illuminor as being the solid right tackle that can hold up on an island? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And that might be the case to kick off the season, but there's a lot of time between week one and week 18, and there's a lot of changes that can happen. Ryan Sakamoto, also known as Beast, follow him on Beast Writer on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Ryan, I love your breakdowns that you have done of draftees that end up going in the draft in previous seasons and then that you bring them up right now. And one of them is a guy that... A lot of people were surprised that he made the 53-man roster. I remember watching him in college in Conference USA. Amik Robertson, what have you seen from him from his college days to now in the in the pros and making another 53-man roster? Yeah, I scouted him over at Louisiana Tech, and I, I like grading grades and forming my analysis and grading the snap. I always say grade the snap, not, not the box score, right? So he's diminutive in size, right? And so when he was coming out, I say, you know, the guy is 5'8", 187. He's going to drop simply because of the size. People look at that and be like, oh, he, hasn't, he doesn't have the prototypical HWS, which stands for height, weight, speed, uh, to put the boundary cornerback. So he's just strictly a slot guy. And you can look around the league with the guys or over the course of the years, like a Ray Mickens or an Aaron Glenn and say, or Jason Webster, for that matter, and say, oh, you know, these guys may be diminutive in size, but they can hold up on the boundary if need be. And so I saw the same skill set in Amik Robertson. He's short, but he's not small. If you look at his physique, you know, me being a bodybuilder, you can see how he fills out his frame very nicely. He's very, he has that swagger. He's tough. He's competitive. All these things I saw him at Louisiana Tech, and people don't remember, but he was heavily recruited by LSU before going to Louisiana Tech. He had 14 interceptions in his first three years. He had 34 pass breakups, including 16, which led the nation, all right, which led the nation, all right, in his junior year. So the guy's a ball hawk. He has two of He can near match wide receivers downfield. His downfield is his size. When he jogs back at the top of his depth at the catch point, he seems to be in position, but his size gets the best of him in terms of his height. Now, you can call him vertically challenged or whatnot, but at the end of the day, he does play with fundamentals. He stays square at the line of scrimmage, plays patient feet, use proper hand placement to win his leverage pre-snap. So you see these things. It's just a matter of making plays on the football when the ball arrives at the catch point. And for me, I see enough of Amik Robinson where I would not be surprised, and I didn't. I had him making the team, uh, the 53, because I just saw enough evaluation from him during practice and dating back to his days at Louisiana Tech that warranted him a roster spot on this 53-man roster. And this is just me speculating, nothing that I've seen at practice. Do you think he could benefit if Nate Hobbs ends up going to the outside and then he takes out that slot, slot position in the, cor- in the cornerback room? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think if you were to ask a scout or if you were to ask somebody who actually studied the quarterback position or even a defensive back coach, initially you look at Meek Robinson, this is a natural slot guy, right? And that's not taking anything away from him that he can't play the boundary. But if Nate Hobbs is able to play the boundary, which I, you know, I reported that he will be playing the boundary, he's going to be lined up in slot two. Patrick Graham's going to do a little mix and match here um, based on the rules of engagement and the formations and the personnel that's, that's asked upon. 
But at the end of the day, you really have to look at it as a two-pronged question. One, is Amik Robinson strictly going to be a boundary, uh, sorry, a slot cornerback? And two, is he going to be used as a blitzer? Because if you look around the league, and I study around all 32 NFL teams, I don't just study the Raiders. I study all the teams around the league, right? You look around the league. Chauncey Garner just got traded from the Saints to the Eagles. Well, even though he's a hybrid safety, he's used a lot in the slot, right, coming out of Florida. So what did he use him as an extra box defender in run support because he's a good blitzer? Same thing with Mike Hilton. He was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's now with the Cincinnati Bengals. Same thing. Kwan Williams with San Francisco 49ers. Now with the Denver Broncos. Same thing. So you look at how, the, you know, they say it's a copycat league here in the NFL, but let's not get it twisted. Amit Robertson can't be that guy where he could be an extra box defender when called upon because people don't, and underestimate a guy's size, but you, again, you have to look at what he can do as a, as a shoulder leverage tackling performer. He actually is very good in space, and I really, really see that in his game. And I think that's what Patrick Graham is going to use him as, as not only as a slot guy who can cover, but can come up and run support and also blitz off the edge. We're chatting with Ryan Sakamoto, also known as Beast. Follow him on Beast Rider on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Ryan, five running backs. Is that too much, or is it needed yeah. for this team that is the running back by committee is what everybody's hearing? You know, I'm a huge fan of GM Dave Eager, right? And, and I get this question asked all the time. Is five running backs enough? And I say it comes down to the positional unit, and you have to – it's like a game of poker, right? We live in Vegas. It's like you're, you're only as good as the hands that you're dealt, right? So if you're dealt – pocket aces or pocket deuce or ducks or whatever the case may be, AK-47, we know whatever, you really know how to, have, how to play that hand. Now, once the, once, the, once the river comes out, once the turn card comes out before that and the flop and so forth, you really have to kind of gauge the hand that you're dealt. So, with that being said, I think five running backs is good and the reason why. Josh Jacobs is going to outplay his way in Vegas. The Raider way, and you can call it the Patriot Raider way, it's the winning way. Their way is they can find running backs and, and build these running backs up on cheaper contracts. Now, I'm not saying Josh Jacobs is not going to return, but there's a reason they declined their fifth-year option. Okay, let's not get it twisted. Secondly, he's going to outplay that contract because he can put up 15, 1,600 scrimmage yards this year and be a fancy football stud. So I don't have any doubt that Josh Jacobs is going to fall out of control. I just don't see him getting paid. And if he does get paid, I don't think it's going to be in Vegas because you don't draft Zeus White in the fourth round while also drafting Britton Brown and having Kim stats on the roster if you didn't see a 2020 outlook without Josh Jacobs in the plan. Because if you look at it with Josh Jacobs in the plan, then what does that leave Deuce White? What does that leave Britton Brown? Are they going to be stashed another year uh, as second best? I don't see that happening. Especially if Deuce White, fall, Deuce White falls out who I like coming out of Georgia, he's going to be the feature. I mean, he's already contact like his son. This is a typical Bill Belichick, GM, Daisy Ezer type of a dude. I like Deuce White to be the running back in 2023. Nothing against Josh Jacobs. I'm a huge old tight fan. Hope he stays in Las Vegas and that can happen. But if it was if it was me and seeing the top five running backs and making this uh, analysis as to why this move is being made, keeping Britton Brown tell us they're looking toward the future at that position. Absolutely. Beast, mahalo. Thank you so much. Follow him on Beast Rider, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I love the breakdowns, the live breakdowns that you do on YouTube. People got to check those out. And Raider Nation, they're loving your insights. So thank you so much for jumping on board here today on Raider Nation Radio. 
Hey, mahalo noi for having me, man. Appreciate the love, and I'll see you at Raiders headquarters, my man. Absolutely. See you soon. There he goes, Ryan Sakamoto, also known as Beast. Follow him on Beast Rider, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. This is the JT The Brick Show. It's brought to you by Sam and Ash at Sam and Ash Injury Law. Our personal injury lawyers do everything to take the pressure off of you. Let's go to a break, Raider Nation. We'll take more of your calls coming up after it, 702-365-9200. And we'll also talk about what's going on with Gorilla Rilla. SoFi Stadium ain't going to let him in. What's up with that? We'll talk about it after this break.